Hello and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy and soulfully grown. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Ewan Sang, part of the Beautiful Business team, and this week I was lucky enough to be joined by Nikki Gattenby. Nikki is a double best-selling author on the subject of engagement at work with super engaged and purposeful work with Better Business on Purpose. Nikki has led successful marketing agencies in London, Paris and Brighton in the UK with a track record for supercharging positive growth. Her last business went from Brighton to global, from marketing services to two software as a service technology products, Answer the Public and Coverage Book, hand in hand with being named one of the best places to work in the UK for eight years running. Having exited the agency in 2019 and taken a sabbatical to New Zealand, Nikki is now an in-demand agency specialist, non-exec director and cognitive behavioral coach, helping founders set their strategy and coaching the leadership teams to deliver on it. Nikki is featured as one of the corporate rebel pioneers for progressive thinking and voted one of 10 of the most inspirational people in the 2022 Industry Bench Press Survey. It was a real pleasure interviewing Nikki, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's talk a bit about inspiring action and mm-hmm. enabling change. One thing I often think about is a bit of a dilemma is, you know, what role do business leaders have in inspiring change? And the other part of that question is, is why should they bother? Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? We have, as leaders, written a unique position to galvanise the energy of those around us, particularly those that care around the trajectory of our modern world. You know, people, for those of us, and I think it's the majority that are shocked by how we've almost seemingly totaled the planet to a degree, disregarded flora and fauna and our fellow human beings in search of profit. And we have a duty to play our part in making the world a better place, as such, not taking out as much or putting back more than we take. And the people that do that are going to have a competitive edge in the future. We've talked about talented people have choices. Where are talented people going to want to put their future in terms of this planet we've inherited? How are they going to want to work in a way that's going to be a force for good going forward? Because I believe there's enough money being made in the world by corporations to address many of the world's problems. But that isn't happening. Instead, we do this maximising profit at the expense of everything else, ignoring these glaring issues of poverty, lack of sanitation, environmental meltdown. And leaders need to bother because change isn't coming from the obvious places. So now it's down to us. And leaders can help their teams in challenging times navigate. The worst. You know, I don't know about you, but if you scroll through your newsfeed, turn on the TV, look at any news agent, you know, going old school or on your phone, you can be forgiven for feeling a bit queasy. It's all doom and gloom. This whole smorgasbord of negativity. This media serve up these proportions of <laughs> kind of these portions of brutality, catastrophe, and negativity because it kind of hooks us into reading more. And faced with such a diet of doom, it's not surprise, no surprise that many of us are kind of struggling. There was a recent piece of research by Sussex University that found that consuming negative news exacerbates your own worries. Of course it does. It makes you unhappier and more anxious. And it turns out bad news is bad for everyone. And if we cast our minds back to the pandemic, still living through the, the aftermath of it, but at the time, the mental health crisis off the back of the pandemic, we didn't even know how big it was going to be. And it's still coming out now. Because a lot of us internalised all of that negativity. As I you, I had to really monitor what I was consuming on a daily basis because it was just full on. Thing is, we all have always known we have a choice to think differently. We can choose to consume that bad stuff or we can seek out positivity. And there's loads of forms out there to do so. I don't know if you've come across Future Crunch. 
they're a brilliant positive news site. And then there's Positive News, who are another brilliant positive news site. But I just looked on Future Crunch this morning, <clears throat> and they're still talking about knotty issues, but they're talking about solutions. They're talking about things being better, things improving, not just this cycle of doom the whole time. And I look at balancing my media consumption with things like that so that I can have a balanced view, because otherwise we're just going to go down into this spiral. And I think if we can make an effort to read and share the good stuff, if we can seek out the positive stories, we're not just in a world where we're thinking, oh, it's all fine. We're close our ears to everything negative. But it's what are the solutions? You know, I often, often say when I'm leading teams, don't come through the problem, cover the solution. Let's work out what the best ones are. There's that, you know, that old adage. But as leaders, ideally, we could be doing the same. Because if we can help others to think differently, that collective power means we can actually make change happen rather than just being on this receipt of negativity. Mm-hmm. And I think leaders have a pivotal role to play there. I think you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more with everything you just said there. I remember, again, it was during lockdown, one of the, do you remember when you had the rule of six? Remember the rule of six? (laughs) And um, we used to organise into groups of six and we'd sit outside with the fire pit, have some beers and chat around the local dads, basically, of our dads club. One of the dads was, um, we were watching one of the Attenborough programmes or something like this, and he was watching it with his two little girls. And one of his little girls said, Dad, we've broken the planet. And he didn't know what to say. You know, now, I'm not going to say now, but then, they couldn't watch those nature programs as a family because the girls would get too upset. So I think you're right. There is a degree, and maybe it's something that we have to kind of accept that things are in a bad way in order to be in a position where we can do something about it. And as you say, not just in terms of the environment, but, you know, in terms of our own kind of social and community kind of positions as well, when we have a look at what's happening across society, the inequality that's there, you know, the prejudice and the ways that different parts of society treat each other. And there's lots of kind of deep systemic problems that are in there. But as you say, just to look at them as problems is one thing, and it's quite hard to get out of that cycle of doom. And perhaps this comes back to your point. When you have leaders of businesses, founders of businesses, entrepreneurs, they are typically more solution-orientated anyway, certainly in terms of their work. So as a part of society, as you know, that demographic, if we were all pushing, pulling in the same direction in and around, how can this take out less than what we kind of produce, you know, and how can we create a fairer society? How can we help those underrepresented find a voice? You could almost say that we're in the best position to do it. You could almost say that the founders and the leaders of businesses are in the best position to do it, not just in terms of the skills that they bring to the table, but also the influence that they have. They're almost like, as you say, almost like the hub of the business and they're reaching their influence to their teams and from their teams cascading through to their customers and suppliers. The difference they can make is pretty profound, I guess, if you kind of project it forward in that way. And if you ask most founders why they started their business, it's not money. It's because they wanted to achieve something, do something. They had a dream. There was something that drove them to start this business. Okay, some of them think, I don't want to work for somebody else. I'm unemployable, which I've met a number of times, and that's an entrepreneurial thing. I love it. But it's about doing something that means something to them. And money is a part of it. You know, we need the fuel of business to fuel our purpose. Mm -hmm. But it's not the only reason. And there's some brilliant examples out there that, you know, where leaders have created business to create a difference. We're going to go and talk about it, but it's really empowering for their teams to know they're part of something bigger. And that's when this clarity comes in. If we can be clear about where we're headed, let people have the freedom to get there with us. We're going to create a wonderful business. Yeah, indeed. That's the thing which kind of gets, certainly from a personal level, it's what gets me up in the morning. And being involved with the beautiful business, with Peter Chap and Paul from The Wow Company, mm-hmm. you find that the worlds that you work in and the people that you meet, if you live to your purpose, if you you know try and make the change that you want to see in the world, then there's almost like a gravitational pull, isn't there? You start, whether by perchance or you notice them more, you know, it's a bit like, you know, that sort of thing, that you don't notice them until you start seeing them. But 
it's almost kind of like you happen across more of these people. You have more of these kind of conversations. And then it's this whole kind of give and get thing. You know, you have more of these conversations. I f- you feel more inspired and people leave more inspired. And there's this energy that's created rather than having the energy pulled away from you. And I feel and it's sounding a little bit wishy-washy, but it, <laughs> it, I feel like there's a real kind of impact in that. You know, if you are feeling, and as you say, is that when you run a business, it's not all unicorns and butterflies. You know, there are some dark <laughs> days that you have to face, isn't it? And there's something about meeting people, talking with people, engaging with people, being part of the lives of people who give you energy and who don't just take it away. And I feel like when you have purpose, you know, channeling through you, then that type of energy is infectious. And I guess in a kind of very roundabout kind of way, there's an internal impact that can come from creating impact. That's a really bad sentence there. There's an internal value <laughs> to creating impact. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so, and it, so, as you say, it keeps you motivated and yeah. you want to be doing it more rather than that hideous groundhog day of, oh, Jesus. I can't remember what product was being advertised, but it was that image of someone going to bed in their suit and then waking up the next day and going, it's just on that treadmill. And that's what people can feel like. And that, where's your creativity going to come from when you're doing that? You can't possibly have the impact you want to have if you're feeling like that. As you say, there's an inherent value in feeling great about what you're doing because you're going to want to do it more. It has this incredibly upward spiral effect. Yeah, without a doubt. You mentioned some leaders that inspire you, or you've seen some incredible things, incredible change that leaders have brought about. I'd love for you to share maybe a, a few of your favourites or a few examples that you might have. I absolutely love Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia because from the word go, he's talked about the fact they're in business to save the planet. And everyone's probably seen the ad when they have the jacket on their page and it says, don't buy this jacket. And there's a reason because they want people to recycle and repair and reuse. And that's fantastic. And then last year, he went one step, well, 55 steps forward and said, any of the profit of this business is going to be put into the Patagonia Purpose Trust and the Whole Fast Collective, which is all about using our profits with purpose to combat the planet's ongoing climate catastrophe. And we're talking this the tune of three billion here. Now, you know, sort of some people, some critics said, oh, that was a tax dodge. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, actually, I'd rather that money was spent well <laughs> and, as opposed to potentially in other ways that it could have been spent. So I think, you know, he's been said to literally give his company to Mother Earth. That is the pinnacle. That's, a, that's the most amazing approach. But let's take a leap out of his book. And one of the things when we researched, we were looking into Better Business on Purpose was Lego. And the company's mission is to inspire and develop the builders of tomorrow, helping all children grow and develop their full potential through creative play. Wonderful. Now, do you know how many Lego plastic bricks there are per person on the planet? No, but I'm ready to be blown away by this stuff. <laughs> 80. They times that by the billions of people on the planet. That's a lot of plastic that they've pumped out into the world. Yeah. So how do you reconcile those two? Well, We've held them up as a better business on purpose because although they've produced 19 million pieces of plastic every year, they are moving into becoming a green game changer because they take that as a problem and they want to lead the charge in changing how plastic is created and used in a different way. Um, they set aside, I've got some stats here, 400 million to lead a team of 100 to go green by 2030, OK, which is a bit of a time frame. But they want to continue to inspire and develop the rules of tomorrow by changing the way that they're creating their product. And they're moving from stopping oil-based plastics and relying on fossil fuels to recycle plastics and then into longer term, sustainable materials such as sugarcane and stop using plastic altogether in their packaging. So they still want to live their purpose. They realise they've got it a bit wrong, but my God, they're putting quite a lot behind it. So, you know, we're not all going to be whiter than white on doing this really, really well, but we can recognise what needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just one brand that says, okay, if we haven't got it quite right, we can change. And they're peak qualizer. You can just imagine the lines where they're really high and really low. Planet, oh, nightmare. What are we going to do about it? Then there's a wonderful brand which you may have come across. Have you come across Who Gives a Crap? Yes. Yes, indeed. 
of course, toilet roll brand. And I love the fact that their purpose is to provide everyone in the world with access to a toilet by 2050. Because it's like, okay, how hideous is that? People don't have access to a toilet. We know this. We just don't see it every day. But it's about doing something about it. This is this, okay, there's a negativity here, but we can actually change and make action happen. So in 2012, their founder discovered that 2.4 million people didn't have access to a toilet. That's 300,000 children out of five and that people are dying from diarrheal disease, poor sanitation. So they got together three friends to create Who Gives a Crap, and they donate 50% of their profit to help build toilets and improve sanitation in the developing world. Now, that's an amazing way of fueling your business with profit to fuel your purpose. And they have the most incredible marketing off the back of it. I think when they were doing their fundraiser, their founder, Simon, sat on the toilet and said, I'm not getting off until we've raised 10 million. Brilliant. And they've got quite a lot of humour going with it. So it's a huge global issue. But they're solving it one loo at a time. And I, I love that. It's like, okay, we can do stuff. We can do things. We just need to think about it creatively, which means we need to be feeling good to do it. Yeah, wonderful examples there, Nikki. Really lovely. And just the last one first, who gives a crap? Really does go to show, you know, something as basic as toilet roll and how a story could be built around that, how a following could be built around that, you know, how a movement, forgive the pun, could be moved around <laughs> Around that, um, you know, so so it's it's incredible, and as you say, it is intrinsically linked to being profitable. The more profitable they are, the more impact they will have in terms of improving sanitation for people around the world. So I think that is a great example. I remember my neighbor. I first came across it actually when I had to pick up some postage for my neighbor because they were away. And I was okay. like, what, what is this? And it's terrible. And you looked into it, you think, this is brilliant. And then you get on board, you buy it, and, you know, and it's done. And then There's it the becomes a habit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And to your first example of Patagonia, yeah, the fact that he's given the company away is, you know, a story in itself. But, you know, what really got me was I went to the Eden Project a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And they had Patagonia hats. And I thought, I'm going to try <laughs> go face up to my midlife crisis here. I'm going to buy a cap. <laughs> and I looked at the caps and I was like, oh, my God, it's like 30 quid for a cap. That's quite a lot of money. And I went back to my team. I'm like, you know what? I thought about getting this Patagonia thing. I didn't know much about the brand back then. And I thought, I don't think I can justify spending 30 quid on a cap or like 120 quid on a jacket. And then it was actually one of our employees. You know, they do the repairs. So if they fix it or if it tears or breaks down, mm-hmm. you send it to them. They'll fix it for you and send it back. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then you start looking into it. And then you to hear about the moves that he's making in terms of donating his profits and then you think well actually you know 120 quid for a jacket isn't that big a price to pay for the impact that it will have and then that again in a hard-nosed kind of business perspective look how much pricing elasticity that has introduced into your Mm -hmm. product because of having purpose that aligns with the values of your customers then you know my kind of tight ass (laughs) 50 quid for a jacket budget has more than doubled you know because of the values that i place in the purpose of that business so again just that kind of pull through and this last one i'm really glad that you brought up lego as an example of a business Mm. because my little girl loves lego she likes nothing better than to stick Audible on and play Lego all day. You know, mm. and we wouldn't see her for the rest of the day if she had her own sort of way. But there's something there about creativity and children. And this is something that's been a bit of a bugbear of mine. When kids leave the house for the first time to go into school, certainly with my two, they would ask questions about everything. Everything. They had curiosity. What's that, Dad? How does that work? Why did it? And already it's happened with my 11-year-old who's going into comprehensive school now. He can't wait to get out of school. You know, he can't wait for the day to finish, for the week to finish. When we speak with him, so much of it is down to that creativity piece. You know, he doesn't get a chance to be creative anymore. He does, And it's almost like that curiosity is shrinking away. So, you know, whilst, as you say, Lego perhaps doesn't have the greatest record when it comes to plastic production, the fact that they're trying to nurture something that is so important to us as a society, as a culture, 
I think goes somewhere. So I'm delighted that you brought up Lego as an example. And yeah, as you say, it's an innate ability we all have. And I would love it if at school we were taught more about thinking on our feet and improvisation, not necessarily reading a subject and then almost playing it back. Obviously, we've got to get there's loads of external sources, but what do we think? What are we thinking about? It happens every day in business. We're put on the spot. We need to improvise. We need to think quickly. I'm not sure that's being nurtured as much as it could be. And that creativity can tend to sort of seep away, as you've just described. The other thing, money management would be great if it was taught at school, not just maths. Anyway, I'm on a different riff now. You know, (laughs) know, schools do amazing jobs. Don't get me wrong, schools are brilliant. If we could just add some elements that would help us when we're older, that would be brilliant. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's still, you know, it does kind of go slightly off on a slight tangent, but I think it does come back to, you know, the fact is as a species, we're facing some incredible challenges ahead of us, some of them more urgent than others. Mm. You're right. And we touched upon, I'm not sure if it was in this episode or the previous episode, we talked about machines and algorithms replacing a lot of the kind of the legwork that we do. And what defines us as a culture, as a society, as businesses, is the people, is the humans that are in there comes back to the whole education piece is that should education systems really be kind of you know drilling into our kids things that machines will probably do in a few years time you know or should it be nurturing the human element as you say the creativity with the problems that we've got we need that creativity don't we We need that spark that inspiration to make the changes that we need to see absolutely and as well as you know what can leaders do to create impact i I really think you know leading for the front is a big one but what, what leaders can do to inspire change that we're looking at is challenging the status quo and challenging this thing about systems and tech and AI is, is going to win. No, 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 no. There's a brilliant example of a company called Bertzorg. It's a Dutch healthcare company led by a chap called Joss de Block, who is so inspiring, I can't tell you. He took on the Dutch healthcare system and completely changed the outcomes for patients. If I just go into this for, for a bit, because it's fascinating, Joss de Block and his co-founders were working for patient home care companies. So people being careful in the home. They were on this traditional kind of command and control basis where you had 15 minute slots. So you had to decide whether you made a cup of tea or administered medication or took someone to the loo or whatever. But something very inhuman about going to see somebody who needed care because you're on a time slot, because you had to fit with the system. And it was quite challenging to actually be there for the purpose you were there for, for care. So he said, OK, I'm going to rail against this. It's ridiculous. We need to put caregivers at the forefront and enable them to be able to care. So they built their business, Birdsorg, on purpose, and it's to help people live meaningful lives, meaningful autonomous lives, through humanity above bureaucracy, simplicity above complexity, and practical above hypothetical. So they removed all the hierarchy of a traditional system of a business, and they have self-managing teams. And every time a team grows to 12 nurses, they split off into another team. There's no planning, there's no HR, there's no marketing, but they do have a central team of coaches that now the business is 11,000 nurses, there's 50 coaches at the heart of it. And all of these teams are working across Holland and they have huge support online. So their leader, Just a Block, is constantly available for them and often does a big communications online. But they outperform every Dutch competitor on every imaginable metric. So they have the highest client satisfaction of any organisation in care over the, by over 30%. The overheads are 67% lower. Staff turnover is half the rate of competitors. Absenteeism is 33% lower. And the most important of all, the American Journal of Nursing reported that Bertsorg cure patients faster than anyone else in the sector. They improved twice as fast in half the time with a third of the fewer of the visits. Which says to me that rails completely against the system needing to control everything and about us being human. So, you know, what can leaders do to change and inspire? Well, challenge the status quo and lead from the front. And every time I go through that case study, it just makes me smile because there's people there who have been cured or are so much more happy than they possibly would have been in a different healthcare system. Brilliant thing is it's being adopted globally now, which is amazing. 
That is amazing. And I love that. Don't accept the status quo. It's almost kind of like, don't limit your thinking. That's the thing. We're almost conditioned, aren't we? It has to do this. It has to do that. It's got to do payroll, whatever it might be. And we almost kind of put ourselves in a box. And it sounds like this example is one where enabling the staff to be the best versions of themselves and being the best version of themselves was about giving the best standard of care to their patients. So the two most significant stakeholders in the whole thing are the ones that benefit from it. Yeah, the caregivers and the patients, quite incredible. If you looked at different healthcare systems, the level of management in there is almost the opposite of this. Indeed. And I think that that is, again, as you say, if you are brave enough, to yeah because ultimately it isn't easy to do and perhaps this is that kind of entrepreneur an entrepreneurial trait of being brave of taking that chance if you link it back to money and what a lot of people are looking for in terms of profit patients improve twice as fast okay that sounds like half the cost in half the time oh even better with one third fewer visits it just says there's less wastage in the system yeah all over and let's apply that kind of thinking everywhere because we can because we're human we're not machines yet Thank you so much, Nikki Gatby, for joining us on this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. It was a real pleasure to hear your ideas, your insights, and your inspiration when it comes to purposeful businesses. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society, and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.